Now I can hear you. Ooh. <laughs> I don't video chat. I'm very bad at technology. I'm, and I'm a TV production. Hey, and welcome to All It Takes, the podcast for and about producers and content creators in broadcast, social, and film. I'm your host, Melissa J. And today we're talking to an associate producer about her journey and why the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, made a huge difference in her career. My guest today is Desiree Taveras, an amazing associate producer who's been in the TV production industry for over 10 years. Some of her network credits include VH1, CBS, Bravo, and Comedy Central, just to name a few. I know you're home, so Mm -hmm. are you working? No, actually, uh, uh, no, I was going to start a new show like a month ago, but then like two weeks before I was going to start, they sent out an email that saying the network was going to just suspend production until further notice. Uh, So we don't know when we're going back which could be in a month, two months. It just depends on when this calms down and like if they're going to set night new like office rules during, you know, the pandemic and stuff like that. How many people can go back to work? So how do you think the industry is going to shift or how do you think work is going to look for media professionals or production professionals after this? I like, I guess I, I'm an eternal optimist where I'm like, I feel like because so many productions have been like postponed, suspended, um, that when they open that up again, they're going to need a lot of people in all these positions immediately because they're probably going to want to start up right away to make up for all the lost time. So, you know, I think it's going to be good for our business and then like a lot of people have jobs, especially, you know, with freelancers, myself, you know, you need all the jobs that are out there. So I feel like it can only help. Um, it hurts for right now because a lot of us are relying on unemployment and our savings um even with the extra boost from the unemployment it's like you still want to get back to work because this is what we do we you know like myself we work in tv production and because you're on hold or on pause for these projects is there some sense of security um with that how does that work as a freelancer are you kind of like hanging back until that starts or do you have to continuously look for work i mean in freelance you that's what's scary about being a freelancer is nothing is certain. So I'm hoping it's still good, you know, haven't heard otherwise, you know, knock on wood. Um, but like being a freelancer, it's like, it's, it's a weird, you know, thing. Cause even when you're in the middle of a production as a freelancer, you don't know if any minute now that show could get shut down or, you know, canceled. Like I've been, I've been on a TV show that was canceled in the middle of the season. And then the next day you're unemployed. Um, so it could be a month, it could be six. I, I've had a freelance gig that lasted eight months. Um, I've had a freelance gig that lasted three weeks. So it like, it's, it's weird every time in the middle of you having a job, you have to like be on the lookout for another job because you know, this job you have is going to end at no matter how long it is, it's going to end at some point. So you have to start looking for another one. So talk about how fickle the life cycle of shows are and how that ultimately impacts, uh, the projects that you take on, I mean, does it change how you look at at shows or how you pick and choose what you want to work on? A lot of the times, you know, for myself anyway, I'm like, I'm in no position to say no to a job. I'm a freelancer. Um, A lot of times in in forms of freelance, it comes down to, well, what's the rate you're going to charge? What's the rate you're going to pay me? And a lot Mm -hmm. of times... Does it change? 
Does it fluctuate a lot for different shows? It, it always changes for every show. Like, especially being an associate producer for a long time, every production, the rate they give you changes. Like, I've gotten low rates for associate producer. I've gotten pretty high rates for associate producer. It literally varies for every job because it depends on what the budget is that was approved for your position. Because every budget is, you know, approved by the network and this is what they said they're going to pay this position. So then, then the production company is like, all right, this is what we're going to pay you. And you can, you can negotiate, you can try to negotiate, but at the same time, like, I know how it is. I've gone a very long time without having a job. Like, the longest I went was almost a year without having a job. And it's like, at the point when I got a job, I was like, I'm going to take this. I can't not take a job. It's scary, but fun. It's, it's scary. scary. It, it is scary jumping into freelance. I never was a freelancer until four years ago. Now that you've done both, you understand how both sides work. You've been on network and coming into your own as a freelancer. How does each compare? You know, like I remember when I started my, my first network job, one thing I would hear was that they like hiring from within. They want to promote from within, meaning they didn't have to go out and interview. And yeah, they got resumes, but again, it was easier just to promote somebody from within who's already with the company. You know, you have to get re-interviewed. They just promote you because they do a good job. I was one of the rare outside hires for this job. I was a rare, I interviewed for PA for the PA position because that's, I want to get out of my previous job, which you also know very well. Um, and then I was like, I'll take a job. I just need to get out of here. And then I interviewed and the woman was like, oh wait, you should actually, shoot. I'm going to put you down for the social producer job. I was like, okay. So I, w- I want to get to that next chapter, but I want to talk about the fact that um, you were already in a producing role, but because mm-hmm. you wanted to leave that role, you were willing to take, take a production assistant. Yeah. What was going through your mind at that time? It was the company I was at. They, I mean, yeah, because of working at this uh, public access station, I did learn how to become a producer, like writing and booking guests and you know, doing rundowns and dealing with a crew and like you essentially are like the leader of the entire show come taped it. Like they look to you for like, hey, this is this problem. What can we do? Well, how do we fix it? And when you're a live show, you don't have time to think. You have to think what are the problems going to happen before the show even starts and what to do during if that problem does happen. So yeah, I was a producer. I learned how to, I started as an intern. I learned how to write. I learned how to do a script. I did prompter for a very long but after like five years, I was like, it came to a point that like there were things happening at this station that I was like, I can't be here anymore. I wasn't liking, I wasn't enjoying, I was a business that I love, but I wasn't having fun coming to work anymore. I would do a show and just want to get it over with. I just couldn't do it. And then I up a friend of mine who I went to school with, and then he was working in Connecticut for a different talk show. And I was like, hey, is your job hiring? So I sent him my resume. He was like, yeah, I sent it to um, the director producer's assistant um, for the PA role. He said, we're hiring for PA. I was like, I just, yes, I will, sure. I just need to get out of here. And then I went to the actual interview and like two days, so I remember I went, it was in Connecticut and I got an interview. And then I, two days later, I got a phone call. My phone's ringing, so it was a Connecticut number. I was like, I'm not going to answer I was terrified. I was like, not going to do it. And they called back right away. I was like, okay, I have to answer it. Just rip the bandaid off, see if you got the job or not. And then I get the job and I was like, oh, this is my first network job. 
So that's amazing how that happened. You you were a little over the job that you were currently in and you reached out to a friend. Is this the normal way to go about getting a job? Like, is there a job search process involved? Do you just reach out to your network? No, I live by the thing that I heard from Professor in my college that he said, and it's still, I mean, we've all heard it. Um, I'm sure you've heard it too, where it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that mantra could not be any more truthful in this business. Like, I, I know I'm good at my job, but I know at the same time, I have to know people at the same time because I've applied to hundreds of jobs and not gotten an interview. But then I have somebody who I worked with before and they're like, hey, are you available for this job that starts like Monday and it's like Friday? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, okay, great. You're on board because they know you're good at your job. They know you can do it. They see your resume, but they've worked with you before. They trust you enough that you can do this job. You can know everything in the world about TV production. You can work editing to producing to writing, but you have to know people. So networking, how'd you learn that skill? Is this a skill that you built up over the years? Like in the beginning when I started off, I didn't really have a chance to network. And when I had a, my first network job, that schedule didn't allow me to network because I was going to work at 10 in the morning, coming home at midnight because didn't really have a, a, a regular schedule. So I didn't have a chance to network. And then I finally told myself, I have to leave for my sanity. Which job was that? Am I allowed to say it or am I allowed to say it? I feel like I, I feel like I know. Is it the one? You know the job. A talk show, a very popular talk show <laughs> in Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, it was I on like- the air for over 20 years. That probably gives it away right there. <laughs> well, we been there I mean, years. it's canceled. The show's over now. I mean, at this point, like, it's, it's a canceled Jerry Springer talk show. There it is. There's <laughs> the name of the show. Jerry Springer show. I got a lot of reactions. <laughs> From you, you're one of them. Um, but you knew where I was going to work. But like, imagine telling people for the first time where I was working. It was right away. I get like, I knew the question. I knew the question I was going to get as soon as I said where I was working. And the number one question was, uh-huh. well, actually two. It was, that show's still on the air. I'm like, obviously it's still on the air. And then two, is it real? And I'm like, okay. Then I have to, I kind of have to explain without giving away. I mean, every talk show has secrets. We, yeah. Every talk show has ways of getting on the air. Mm-hmm. But I had to explain it without giving away the secrets. Because we really weren't supposed to say our secrets at the time. Right. And like a fear of getting in trouble if somebody found, you know, found out that you spilled how the show was done. Yeah. But, so, yeah, the people were real. They were not actors. We didn't pay these people to be on the show. They were actual people from all walks of life. Trust me, I've talked to enough of them. They came from all the way. They had and these stories that you see them say on the show. Yeah, they've been through that. Like, it sounds insane. But these people have been through these things that they have, you know, they, they, you see them you know, they talk to Jerry about what they've gone through back home with their, with their boyfriend, husband, wife, fiance, sister, brother, whoever. Yeah, they've been through that. Like, that's not, we don't tell them what to make up their life experience. We tell them, you tell me what you've been through. I need to get to know you to make sure you're worth, of, you're essentially like, are you worth being on TV? Are you worth me paying for your flight, paying for your hotel? You need to give me all expense paid trip out here. 
Because I can't just bring somebody to the show who says, yes, I want to be on TV. Because a lot of people say they want to be on TV and then they get on that stage and they freeze. Mm. Because to them, Jerry, to them, Jerry was like, he is a celebrity. He is. He's not like a joke. The guy is. Are you kidding? He's like. Despite, despite what people think of his show, the man is a TV legend. Yeah. Like, it's a classic. He's been, he's been on the air. He, he lasts on the air longer than Oprah. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely you know, a classic show. It's it's part of our I mean, we you can't say you were in high school. You did not see the Jerry Springer show. But the thing is, the job was very, I was there for four years. And in the beginning when I started, I was like excited because, again, my first network job, it was, I remember when I was interviewing for the, uh, the talk show, my, my EP, soon to be EP, was like, why do you want to leave? And I was like, you know, I gave the place credit. I was like, they teach you, they don't want you to stay there. They want you to eventually leave the company and go to a network job. So I will give that station credit is like, yeah, they, they do give you the chance to learn every position. And then you eventually fall in love with the position you want to be, what you want to do. So then I told them I got the job. And then when I started at uh, Connecticut, um, I was nervous. Cause I like, I never, I booked guests before, but not like this, mm-hmm. not like calling essentially strangers, regular people who have regular jobs, live regular lives to come on TV and like talk about super personal things well yeah um, but the difference was and I, and I know the show that you you worked on because the difference on that show is these are like professional people from small businesses or you know political arenas so they had some experience with yeah and they had, and they had reasons to come on your show they had to be they wanted to promote an event they wanted to talk about an initiative they were doing some kind of program they were starting mm-hmm. or health reasons or they were an artist they want to show their talent or talk about book they were writing or something but the next talk job that i had these people didn't have that they were regular people living regular lives and i'm asking them to talk about their personal life on television in front of strangers they never met before in front of a host they've never met before they've watched them but they never met him mm-hmm. and answer his questions and when he would talk to these guys he didn't know why they were there that's he did not know why these people were there he just had a, their name on a card the show day, that's a whole other animal. It's literally a whole other like situation. Okay, so tell us about that. It starts, it starts very early in the morning. Cause like they were like in the different time slots every producer got. You were there very early in the morning and then you would start with greeting the guests who were probably exhausted because they got out of being this early. And then you had to start with like going explain to them how the day is gonna work, what to expect during the entire day. Cause they we were there, I would say for example, we got to the studio at 7 a.m. We were there until about 3 p.m., maybe longer. But this is, you're prepping the guests. You're, you, have to, you have to explain how the day is going to go before filming even starts, what they're going to experience, who they're going to meet. They're going to meet with, like, a legal department. They were, like, lawyers. Like, why am I meeting a lawyer? Like, well, you have to meet with her for a certain reason. You got to sign the paperwork that says you're clearing yourself to be on TV. You know, understanding why you're here because you can't be on. And one thing I learned being on this talk show is you can't fly somebody out without them knowing why they're there. Like they have to know before they even get on a plane why they're coming to your talk show. Mm. And then they meet with the lawyers to make sure they understood that. And then it comes to like getting them dressed. You know, you have to help them look good for TV. You know, like that's obviously a major part of it. 
you know, make sure they get their makeup and hair done and then just sitting down with them and telling them this is what, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go. You know, Jerry might ask you this question. Talk to him. Once the show was done, the day was pretty much over. That's like, you get to breathe because we worked for about six days straight. So how are you able to transfer the skills you learned at the station and at the talk show for your future gigs? It was more or less what I taught me about myself and less of what the job taught me. The job taught me was a lot of patience, a lot of patience. Um, And just how to talk to people. Like, But the next gigs that I got after leaving the Jerry Springer show were... I got to have like, I guess, normal schedule. I got to like, I guess, be in TV production, but also like still not have to be at home at midnight and come to work six hours later. Um, It just, they taught me more about like how to talk to people, how to be patient um, and just realizing what I wanted to do with TV production was not what I dealt with with the Jerry Springer show. That's why I left. It was after four years, I was like, this is, mentally draining it, every puzzles producer gig varies every time but it was less that what i dealt with and more of there was more i thought the like like eps and producers who like trusted you more so they're like within that role of an associate producer there could be multiple levels or different, oh, yeah. it, cha- it can change for every job you get yeah like in the beginning, when I was in freelance AP, it was a lot, like I said, a lot of, you know, talking to the lawyer and just like the production lawyer and just clearing, making sure what you wanted to, sh- what the producer wanted to show during the show was legally cleared. Is this okay? Who, do we have to talk to anybody to get it cleared? We want to play this song, you know, dealing with the music library department and we want to play this song for a guest entrance. Do you have this song? If not, how can we get this song? Uh, having contracts on, having releases signed, you know, going on Getty and getting images the right way. Um, and we have to use a social media post. Okay, well, do we have to credit the handle? How can we credit without having to, you know, deal with paperwork? You know, how can we fair use it? And learning what fair use even was. Right. I did not know what fair use was until four years ago. I never heard of the term. Didn't know what that was. So but then the more I... A lot of yeah, learning but, on the job too, right? Because oh it, yeah, it it's definitely like well, when I started my first freelance job, I didn't know you know what it was to have to clear things with the legal department or the music licensing department. I never dealt with those departments before, and there's a lot of jumping in and like learning how to do it. Like somebody would teach you for a little bit, but then it was like, okay, now you have to learn how to do it on your own. And it was, I mean, I am a quick learner, so I learned how to do it fast all these other departments for photos and elements, they become like your friends. Like they become used to your emails and your requests and your questions and you create a relationship with them because they know what you're going to ask them for. They know what you're going to need and you know how to ask them and what they, what you need, what, what questions to ask them, how to get that clear. So it was a whole of like, you know, dealing with like the elements and being like the producer's like right hand in terms of, Hey, we need these things for the show. I have to go pre-interview. Can you take care of, this other stuff for me. And that was the job a lot of times, like doing this stuff for the producer to make sure that what they needed to make the show look good was available. And if, it, if it, you couldn't get it, you had to go to them and say, this is what I'm getting told. And then they would find a way around it, but like making sure that what things that they needed, like even packages, sitting with the editor and making sure that a package that was going to be played during the show was looking the way the producer wanted it to look, 
had everything they needed in it from like the clip from the show or the audio was right or the graphics were spelled correctly. Like you had to be that person to make sure it looked the way they wanted it and before they saw it, before it went to the controller. If you've never done that specific role, I guess, mm-hmm. what what's the interview process like um, going into it? Knowing, like you've been an AP, but you didn't necessarily work with casting. How does that work? Well, I guess when I, when I was interviewing um, over the phone, because they needed somebody like right away. Um, when I was casting, when I was I'm sorry, interviewing for the job, I had, I guess I used my experience of working with Jerry Springer in terms of like, cause I, like, I was like, you know what? Jerry Springer did teach me how to like, it did teach me how to like book guests. Not just book regular like, professionals. I'm booking, it, it, talking to these regular people like really taught me how to talk to potential guests in the future. Cause I have to essentially become their friend in a matter of minutes. So, you know, when I interviewed for this job, I you know told my experience of casting with Jerry Springer and four years of that, does teach you how to book because you're booking regular people who have to trust you in less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then also when I started my very first TV job out of college, I was booking the entire show on my own. So I knew how to like, book guests. So I used those two past experiences on getting this casting job. Yeah. Um, and then we did 16 days in Atlanta. Um, we were still casting in Atlanta for some of it, but then most of it was, putting the right women with the right episode. Um, and, you know, cause every episode had a different theme. So this show in Atlanta, what was it about? Uh, for the own network, black women own the conversation. Um, so we started casting and we had two weeks of casting in New York. Um, and I got that job because a former EP knew the producer for the show and was like they were looking for an AP for casting. So we want to make sure as we interview these women, what theme do they fit with? And then we would call them and, you know, we had like a little meet and greet a few days prior to taping. Actually, no, a week prior to taping, we had a meet and greet with the host. That one just a little bit. What's the what's that process like sitting down and coming up with the structure for the show? Well, the, the, the structure was, it was already decided before I even got there. So they just told me these are the themes that, you know, we're taping over four days. These are the themes that we are dealing with. Um, and then you would get like a link from the casting agency. It's the people who handle like the audition paperwork process. And then they'll send you a link of all the women who like submitted um, their like short bios and like, stuff like that. And then you call the number and then you interview these women based off like, and I was, you know, given like the topics, the themes and kind of, and kind of like what questions to ask them pertaining to each thing. And as I asked them each question, the more depending, and I would look at what, what theme they were more knowledgeable of, what theme do they have more of a background history with, that they relate with more. The AP would right away give a face like, yes, this is who I want. Bring them on for this day. And just and then once you knew what day you were going to bring them, then you would inform the, the casting company, and then they would inform that guest of okay, you are being asked to be a uh, a member of the audience for filming on this day. So at that point, your job was essentially done. Mm-hmm. We just had to make sure that the guest was got there. It was like a like a forum, like an open forum with a hundred women in the audience. So there was like really no stage. It was more of just like 
a host in the middle and a hundred women around him. And then he would just like ask questions and then women would raise their hands and give their personal connections to that question. And the thing is the audience, the women who are going to be in the, in the audience didn't know who the guests were mm. up until the stage manager would introduce them. So we would know who the guests were. And sometimes not, not a lot, but there were times where a couple of women were like, Oh, do you know who's coming? I'd be like, yes, but I cannot tell you. <laughs> and no, it's not Oprah. <laughs> They'd be like, is Oprah coming? I'd be like, I don't know. It's Oprah. It's her network. She can come whenever she wants. I don't know. She can fly in right now if she wants to. We don't know, but like, probably not. Yeah. Um, but if she was going to be there, none of us would know, except the people who worked for her. Right. Or some, maybe the EP level. You know, or like, yeah, the EP of the whole production, the EP of somebody who worked with OWN, because, you know, was there. But like, other than that, we didn't know if she was coming. If she did, I would have probably stood there like jaw on the floor, like, Oh, Oprah's here because this was a big deal. Like this kind of show had never been done before, um, with a hundred black women in an audience every day for three to four days straight. Never been done before. Mm-hmm. So like we were working very long hours to make sure we wanted to make sure we had the right women picked. You know, we we wanted to make sure they had stories to tell because that was something that had never happened for black women was having the chance to tell really really personal stories um, for the first time. Okay, so we talked about your first gig and how that experience really molded you and helped catapult your career. Can you tell us about your most memorable producing experience? I just like, I feel like, I mean, I don't have like a one moment that stands out. I just feel like it just, it depends on the show that I'm working on because every production gives you a different experience, a different moment. I guess a lot of it comes from working in live TV and how to figure out what to do if a guest doesn't show up the day of. And, or when I worked in Connecticut, doing the day of the actual taping of a show, when you would have a guest, all of a sudden they don't want to do the show. It's show day, it's tape day. We're taping in a few hours and the person doesn't want to do the show. And you then have to become like a therapist and you would sit down with them and say, fix it. What, what can I do? What happened? Either usually it's like stage fright, they're terrified. Mm-hmm. Or it's like something they just they just are nervous and maybe they feel uncomfortable. So you have to. I would sit with them and like, or myself or producer would sit with them and say, "What's wrong? What's scaring you? And what can I do to fix it? I'm not going to put you on TV to embarrass you. I'm not going to put you here if you're not. I'm not going to throw you out there and like make you do a dance for me and like make make myself happy. Like we didn't force people to do the show. Right. We would try and talk to them and say, "What can I do?" to company, what's making you weird right now? Because I don't want you to miss out on this experience. At the end of the day, being a part of the Jerry Springer show was an experience, even working for it. Yeah. To say Jerry Springer, as crazy as this show was, is a big deal. You know, that guy wasn't, it wasn't a show that was on for two years, it was 27 years. Yeah. But, so I was like, I guess talking to people and people didn't want to be on the show anymore, how to calm them down working life to me and figuring out, fixing a problem for it got worse on the spot. Cause everybody just turned their head looking at you like, um, what do we do? So it sounds like you, you just like high energy, high stress moments. That as, crazy as, as, as intense as live TV is. <laughs> yes, I did like it because it kept you moving. It just kept your brain was constantly like, okay, I have to think of what can happen, what bad can go wrong because I have to have a plan B or C for it. Because at the end of the day, when you're the producer, 
especially at this at this particular station, people looked at you because the crew was very young. And you were young too, but they were new or were like producing. So they would turn to you and be like, what do we do? And a lot of them maybe looked at you as like something they could like, oh, this is how a producer works. I want to do this. How is this person doing their job? Right. So I want to do that. That's what was pressure at 25, 24, 25 years old. And you have somebody in college like, hey, you have to teach them how to do things. Like, I'm still learning how to do this job. Right. Because no matter how long you're in TV production, you are still learning your job. And we are to this day. Still, I, I've been in TV since I was 20 years old. I'm still learning. That's right. my age, but I'm saying it's an overtake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started when I was 20 years old at Viacom. It's still, it's still a process. It's, and you're still I learning. Think yeah, so I don't think we'll ever know it all either. You're never going to stop. You're never going to stop learning, especially in TV production. Even if you're a executive producer, you're still learning. Mm-hmm. So there's levels to this. Uh, your next career move could potentially be producer, supervising producer, EP. Is there any desire to move into those roles? I get asked, like, well, you've been an AP for a long time. I'm like, yeah. Sometimes it's like, why you've been AP? Like, I think it's a mix of like, I know what I'm doing. I am good at being a social producer. I, I've been to a, pretty much a lot of different angles of being a social producer. So I like can handle any gig that is thrown in my direction. I've been, I've done it before. So that's why I get hired for it. And it's a lot of like, it's, it's tricky to get to that next level, like producer, if you want that. Um, but the more and more I've done freelance AP gigs, I've, it's kind of shown me what I want to do past being a social producer. I want to be definitely more in the research department. I love researching. I'll be researching with my friends. I'm like, I like being that person that's, I know people hate being on a desk or in front of a computer. I like it. I like being that person that's sitting next to you. I like, I like being there and like, if a producer needs information about a guest, I don't mind digging about the guest. I don't mind looking up their personal life or going past page one of Google. I like it. I like, you know, I like doing one sheet. It's like I like doing research packets. I like digging in people's lives. That's awesome, Desi. Nice. I like looking that stuff up about uh, either somebody that's going to be a guest or like a book guest. I like doing the research packet because like that's something the host has to rely on. Like, yeah. So like doing that, you made something that the host or the EP has to use means something. And I like being a research nerd, if you want to call me that, or I call myself that. What do you hope that people take away from, from like just one thing that people could take away from this whole thing? You have to talk to people and get as many connections as possible because you can't just rely on, okay, I got this degree. I have a master's degree or whatever it is degree you have. It's, it can get you by, but in TV production, please know as many people as possible. So, you know, I guess just anybody you have any job that you get, befriend that person or even learn from them or have them learn from you, just but make sure you keep in contact even when the job is over. Because that person will remember you when they, I need somebody, oh wait, I worked with so-and-so a year or two ago. She was great at her job, let me see if she was available. Or oh, they know somebody, just, it's just, it's just network. Even networking at a bar or networking in the office, do it. That was my conversation with associate producer Desiree Faveras. Be sure to subscribe wherever you tune in for weekly episodes every Tuesday. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at All It Takes Podcast. 
I'm Melissa J. Thanks for listening to All It Takes.